Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, welcome to our podcast today. We're so glad that you're with us. And we are going to try to tackle today what we would call a very sensitive topic, one that uh, rests upon the minds and hearts and souls of many, many parents that are out there. We want to talk about uh, parenting children who have stepped away, you know, who have stepped away from maybe their families, who have stepped away in many cases from the church. And uh, we want to try to provide comfort and help and healing to those out there that are going through this challenge. Yeah, lately this has just been coming up almost everywhere we turn. I mean, we've talked about how we don't honestly can't think of a family who's not struggling in some way with somebody in their family, whether it's through substance abuse, addictions, Again, Mark said, like, walking away from the gospel, just, just all rebelliousness, the of our day. Yeah, yeah, gender identity, um, same-sex attraction. There's just, I mean, and the, the it's endless, right? The, Satan's, Satan's uh, tool of tricks is bigger and bigger and more sophisticated. Yeah. And so, he's yeah. He's just working overtime. I mean, he's gotten so good over all the million years that he, I mean, <laughs> got to give the guy credit. He's incredible <laughs> in that way. He right. sucks in every other way. <laughs> but he's good at drawing our children away. Right. Well, he's great at destroying families. And that's what I was going to say. That's my observation from my vantage point. What I've seen lately is I've seen families crumble that 10 years ago you would have thought that's one of the most outstanding families we know and they're dealing with things that they never never dreamed, dreamed of. yeah, yeah. And, it just, and it's touching every family again i mean i don't think there's a family out there who hasn't been touched in some way whether with their immediate family or extended family close friends yeah. everybody's been affected right i just once again in our circle we just don't know anyone that hasn't been affected in some way you know with with some of these challenges that we're talking about So what we want to do is try to identify gospel doctrines and principles and other tools to help provide parents with with resources, but also just with comfort and with peace and with trust in God's plan. A few years ago, in November of 2000, President Hinckley gave a great talk, which we recommend to all parents. It's called, Great Shall Be the Peace of Thy Children. And in it, he said this. He said, in terms of your happiness, in terms of the matters that make you proud or sad, nothing I repeat, nothing will have so profound an effect on you as the way your children turn out. You will either rejoice and boast of their accomplishments, or you will weep head in hands, bereft and forlorn, if they become a disappointment or an embarrassment to you. We know that that's a strong statement, and some may have issue with it, but but I believe that President Hinckley's right, that how our children turn out does affect us. It does affect our mood it probably affects our self-worth as parents you know and i think it affects the whole family atmosphere and environment and culture yeah with all the the all the family members siblings included and once again whether it's good or bad you know uh, you know and i just i think the issue here is there are hopes and dreams that parents have for their children there are uh you know desires that children are going to be righteous that they're, they're going to raise their own families in righteousness and they're going to walk the straight narrow path and when 
that doesn't happen and now they're adults and they're far away from the church it's catastrophic right it's devastating I know, you know, as you hold a new baby in your arms and as you watch them grow and develop and you see their talents and you see their gifts and, and you, you know, you think of what their future is going to be and mm. then it doesn't happen. It's, it's devastating to parents, you know, sure. if they yeah. choose a different path or go down a different path than we expect, even if it's, even if it's a, you know, a good versus good. And, you know, <laughs> maybe we want them to do this profession and they choose this profession. I mean, there's all kinds of disappointments and things we as parents experience. But um, I think on a grand scale, there are some that are very devastating. Yeah. Like you said a minute ago, it's, as we were talking before this, that it's loss, right? It's like going through a grieving process. Yeah. That we as parents all go through at some point. Where those dreams are crushed, you know, and, and we understand that we do. And, and that's why this is such a tough and, and sensitive topic. But what we want to tell you, though, is is take heart, hang in, hold on. Even the very best parents have had children who have strayed or wandered, starting or wandered off, starting with our heavenly parents, who lost a third of their children before we even arrived on this earth. Right. Satan <laughs> convinced a third of the host of heaven of heavenly Father's children that he loved to follow him and to rebel against Heavenly Father. I think it's interesting that in the scriptures, in, in, in our two main scriptures, we'd say the Bible and the Book of Mormon, the very opening stories are about families and families whose children rebel, you know, families whose children go off the path, so to speak. And I think that's so, it's so kind of Heavenly Father <laughs> to, you know, to teach us that principle right off the bat and to give us hope and to show us that we are all in this together, that nobody's immune from that. And I think that's a real blessing. Yeah, it is, to give us a little roadmap and some insight into into that issue. And once again, our belief is that those parents, Lehi and Sariah, Adam and Eve, our heavenly parents, were wonderful. But even as wonderful as they were, they couldn't stop, you know, some of their children from, from walking away, from stepping away and going going the other direction. So I think to set a foundation, we won't spend as much time on those stories we just mentioned. We feel that most of you probably know those quite well. But in Luke chapter 15, there are three powerful parables. And I call them the parables of the lost. But they really help us understand the different reasons why our children may wander off, you know. And the first one, and by the way, President David O. McKay gave great insight to every one of these parables. I think he he opens really up he opens up our view on what these parables can mean. I'm going to read you the Joseph Smith translation because it's just a little bit different. This is uh, Luke chapter 15, the first seven verses. But what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the wilderness after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And President David O. McKay says, Sheep go where grass is. It seems apparent that the sheep in the parable are not lost through willful, dis willful disobedience or careless neglect. It simply strayed away in search of greener pastures and soon was lost. I ask you tonight, how did that sheep get lost? He was not rebellious. If you follow the comparison, the lamb was seeking its livelihood in a perfectly legitimate manner, but either stupidly, perhaps unconsciously, it followed the enticement of the field, the prospect of better grass until it got out beyond the fold and was lost. 
this reminds me of something years ago that happened to us. Now, when you have eight children, you're going to lose one somewhere occasionally, right? And we we had our fun share of a few of those. But one that I remember was we were at uh, an amusement park in Missouri. It was Silver Dollar City. And our daughter Cassidy, who I think was about two at the time, we were together as a family, gathered in a crowd, and then probably a dad walked by and had pants maybe similar to the ones I was wearing. And she kind of grabbed onto his pant or just kind of followed him. And and when she looked up, you know, a, a few minutes later, she realized that she was following someone that wasn't a member of our family. She was petrified, right? And and of course we were too, because at that point we realized that she wasn't around. And luckily we heard her cry. But sometimes sheep wander off and they don't really mean to, right? It's just kind of inadvertent or accidental. But in a spiritual way, we see that happen all the time. Right. We see maybe our youth or young single adults just getting involved in things of the world, kind of getting enticed by other views, other peers, peers, you know, things on social media, just ways of the world. And they kind of just wander off and kind of do their own thing. We know how easy that can be. We all know how easy it could be to miss church one time, and then it's easier to miss a second or third or to get out of the habit of scripture study or prayer. You miss one or two times and all of a sudden it's been a month and then a week and I mean, there's all kinds of patterns like that to identify, but sheep do wander off. And once again, they don't. it's not that they mean to, but next thing you know, they're far, far away. Another quote that I really love from Robert L. Millett, he says, In this parable, a prized possession wanders off on its own in search of food. We do not suppose neglect on the part of the shepherd, but rather distraction and inattention on the part of the foolish sheep. The one sheep is precious, worthy of every extra effort, worthy of the risk of leaving the 90 and 9 for a brief season. Besides, the 90 and 9 intact ones are just as lost in their own way. Wow. And yeah. I love that. I love, you know, when you when you put it on a scale like that and you're thinking of your children, your immediate children, and maybe one wanders and we spend so much time and energy on the one trying to bring them back to the fold or trying to help them that sometimes the others get lost a little bit maybe and i think we need to real you know remember that they we are all lost <laughs> yeah it reminds me of that bruce haven haven um quote that goes along with it he said the lost sheep are not just the ones who don't come to church the lost sheep is the mother who goes down into the valley of the dark shadows to bring forth children the lost sheep is a young person far away from home and faced with loneliness and temptation the lost sheep is a person who has just lost a critically needed job, a business person in financial distress, a new missionary in a foreign culture, a man just called to be a bishop, a married couple who are misunderstanding each other, a grandmother whose children are forgetting her. I am the lost sheep. You are the lost sheep. That's so, so profound to me. Yeah, it's all of us. All of us fit into Luke 15, 1 to 7, for sure. We're all, We're all lost sheep, right? And we, we all are. need to... We all need to be rescued, right? We all need to love each other and, and yeah. embrace everyone and, and look at everybody as, you as know, lost. That we, we all have issues, right? And yeah. we need to treat each other accordingly. And I think that's right. You know, I think you, back to the President Irene quote that he's so famous for, that if you look around and see someone, what do you say, about half the people that you see are we'll probably in, in serious, serious trouble. trouble. And then he says, now I think that's even more than, more it's than probably half. everyone. I mean, it's probably, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone that we know in a, on a personal level that's not struggling with, with something along the lines of what we're talking about today. So the bottom line with all this, uh, our discussion here is that yes, sheep can wander off and get lost 
inadvertently. They're not really trying to, but it can happen. It can happen to almost anyone. So in the next parable of Luke 15, 8 through 10, this is the parable of the lost coin, which we've all heard. So this is, um, again, the Joseph Smith translation, because it adds a couple things that... <laughs> gives us a little bit more insight. I like it. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she has found it, she calleth her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repenteth. This, this parable is really interesting to me because I'm sure when I first read it, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, you just kind of read it almost along the same lines as the lost lamb, right? Oh, we lost a sheep, now we lost a lamb. But President McKay, once again, great insight here from a, from a prophet. In this case, the thing lost was not itself responsible. Obviously, a sheep can get lost on its own, but a coin really can't, right? The one who had been trusted with that coin had, through carelessness or neglect, mislaid it or dropped it. Our charge is not only coins, but living souls of children, youth, and adults. Or in other words, here's the idea here. And we could talk about this one all day. But sometimes our sheep, our children, those whom we love can get lost because the shepherds are neglectful or the shepherds aren't paying attention. And maybe the first line of shepherds would be parents, right? I mean, sometimes parents do are asleep at the wheel. You know, we've talked about in other, that in other podcasts that that maybe parents aren't paying attention. There aren't rules, there aren't standards, there aren't consequences for poor behavior. At the same time, there are shepherds in the church, right? That, that may be neglectful or may, may not be paying attention. Right, there could be, you know, tuned out bishops or tuned out, you know, seminary teachers not doing their job or whatever, which they're not gonna take the full responsibility for losing, <laughs> right. you know, their, A sheep. their sheep. but. <laughs> Um, we all need to be awake and alert to those around us, especially our children and our youth, you know, yeah. and we, we would never want to be the cause of being the neglectful one or being asleep at the wheel when that one person wanders away or strays purposefully. Right. Because of our own neglect. Right. And, you know, I want to share a couple of experiences here because I don't, I don't know if we'll say too much today about neglectful parents. I mean, I, I mean, parents, we know that there's, often more that we could do and I think all of us could ask ourselves. I know Janie you and I can ask ourselves that question with every one of our adult children now is is there a little bit more shepherding that we could do and I think the answer is yes there's always more that we can do but sometimes I'll hear a comment like this and it's you know our children aren't active or our children don't go to church anymore but that's because and then they kind of go right to a priesthood leader or some some kind of teacher or or, or advisor and I just I just want to back up bishops just for a second, you know, and I love what Elder Stevenson once said, that the bishops are my heroes, the bishops of the church. It's because of the time they spend. But what a lot of people may not know about a bishop as a priesthood leader is not only is he dealing with your family, but often he's dealing with seven or eight other families, you know, and their issues. And sometimes he's at the church at seven in the morning, and sometimes he's on the phone at, at 10 o'clock at night. And he's doing his best and he has limited time and he's just trying to make it all work. But let's be sensitive on putting that on a priesthood leader sometimes because, and once again, maybe these leaders aren't the best. Maybe they're not tuned in. We've we've had that before where, where maybe they just weren't really into 
the youth or, or something like that, but at the same time, they're trying so hard and they have so much to juggle. And that's why, to me, the first line of defense is always going to be the parents. We have to be the ones who care the very most. So here's the other story, because I know it can go the other way, and there can be leaders in the church that are harmful in some ways. And I remember years ago visiting with a couple in Logan, Utah. They had a son who was a teenager, and he was just on the edge, you know what I mean? Just one foot in, kind of one foot out. But they were able to convince him to go on the high adventure uh, with his the members of his ward, so he did. And he goes on this high adventure, and they're hiking in the mountains somewhere near Logan, Utah, and there's probably 10 or 15 young men. He was in the very back. And so imagine these young men, backpacks on, walking through trails through the mountains, and and uh, the leader, the scoutmaster, or whoever the leader was, would come kind of back, just checking on all the boys. When he came to this young man who was in the very back, he said, what are you doing back here? Why are you always in the back? Why are you always last? And then the scoutmaster said, probably you're just back here smoking, right? Is that what you're doing? And he didn't say it in a funny way, but the young man was quite hurt by that. Uh, number one, he didn't smoke. And number two, the very last thing he would ever think about while hiking through mountains is puffing on a cigarette with, with 15 other LDS people there while you're climbing you know, up to 14,000 feet in altitude. But he was so wounded by that that when he came home, he told his parents he wasn't going to ever go back to the church again, and he, and he never did. And I think that, I think that priesthood leader is going to have to answer for that one day. I mean, that's just, we can't, we can't do that, right? We just can't be that what's a good word we just can't be that brazen with our young men and young women and and accuse them of things like that and think that that won't affect them so we know that those things happen right we know that shepherds can be hurtful or neglectful right and that ties right back into that losing that coin right that mm -hmm. it was either her irresponsibility she didn't put it at the right place she didn't um take care of it whatever it was or just got busy and whatever right. but that was her fault for losing that coin right and we don't want to do that with our children right we've and got our to, family members got to have, have our head on a swivel at all times fully alert and engaged and and being involved in our children's lives and knowing what their struggles are that reminds me of jeffrey r holland's talk a prayer for the children where mm -hmm. he says may i address a rather specific aspect of their safety in this I speak carefully and lovingly to any of the adults of the church, parents or otherwise, who may be given to cynicism or skepticism, who in matters of whole soul devotion always seem to hang back a little, who at the church's doctrinal campsite always like to pitch their tents out on the periphery of religious faith, to all such whom we do love and wish you more comfortable camping nearer to us, I say, please be aware that the full price to be paid for such a stance does not always come due in your lifetime. No, sadly, some elements of this can be kind of prolificate national debt with payments coming out of your children's and grandchildren's pockets in a far more expensive way than you ever intended it to be. Oh, that's, that, that's tough, right? I mean, wow. And then he said this, but no child in this church should be left without uncertainty about his or her parents' devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, the restoration of his church, and the reality of living prophets and apostles who now, as in earlier days, lead that church according to the will of the Lord, the mind of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation. And then he said this, that parents simply cannot flirt with skepticism or cynicism and then be surprised when their children expand that flirtation into full-blown romance. 
If in matters of faith and belief, children are at risk of being swept downstream by this intellectual current or that cultural rapid, we as their parents must be more certain than ever to hold and be anchored in, with unmistakable moorings, clearly recognizable to those of our own household. In other words, I heard him say it another way once, and I think in the same talk, but let's not let our faith as parents be difficult for our children to detect. And then he concluded with this, It won't help anyone if we go over the edge with them, explaining through the roar of the falls all the way down that we really did know the church was true and that the keys of the priesthood really were logged, lodged there, but we just didn't want to stifle anyone's freedom to think otherwise. No, we can hardly expect the children to get to shore safely if the parents don't seem to know where to anchor their own boat. Isaiah once usually once used a variation on such imagery when he said of the unbelievers, their tacklings are loosed. They could not strengthen their mass. They could not spread the sail. Mm. Just not anchored, right? Just yeah. you know, parents who aren't anchored. And, and you know what? There's all kinds of variations of this. We're not out today to make anyone feel guilty because we would be the first to say that there's always more that we could have done with our children. There's mistakes that we made and we know that we, we made. And I even know some men today that just feel horrible because they were priesthood leaders at a young age and at that crucial time with their own children, they just weren't there. They just weren't around. And, and now their children are adults and they're not active in the church and, and they feel horrible about it. And we don't want anyone to feel horrible. I think the key is that we just do the best that we can, right? Right. And one day Christ is going to make up the difference. That's his job. <laughs> he, will, he will make it all right, won't he? Now, the third parable in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, maybe is the one that's the most known, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. It's a great story, and a lot of us are familiar with it. This man has two sons. This father has two sons, and to one of the sons, he basically wants his his inheritance now, and he does take that inheritance, and he does go off, and he does eat, and he does drink, and he is merry, and wasted his substance with riotous living, and ends up in a really, really deplorable place, so to speak. Uh, talk about Skid Row, right? And then eventually he does come back. And we know this wonderful story where, the, where his father shows great compassion. And uh, the son comes back, puts on the best robe, puts a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. They kill the fatted calf. They rejoice. And there's a whole other story about the other son. But we won't get into that today. But basically the, the idea here is... is that some people are rebellious, right? Just kind of more more rebellious than others. Right. And President McKay explained the story of the prodigal son. He said he was immature in his judgment. He was irking under the restraint, and he rather resented the father's careful guiding eye. He evidently longed for so-called freedom. He wanted, so to speak, to try his wings. Here is the case of violation. Here is choice, deliberate choice. That whole agency thing, right? <laughs> that yeah, we, the, that we that we don't like. <laughs> That's hard sometimes for us as parents to honor. But here is in an elder or President McKay goes on to say, here is in a way rebellion against authority. And what did he do? He spent his means in riotous living. He wasted his portion with harlots. That is the way they are lost. Youth who start out to indulge their appetites and passions are on that downward road to apostasy, as sure as the sun rises in the east. So it is with each one of us. As his sheep, oftentimes we rebel, stray off the beaten path, and forget God. Our priorities become insignificant, and our focus becomes muddled. 
Through it all, a wise and loving Father in Heaven allows trials and obstacles to come into our lives. Consequently, we draw close to the true shepherd and come into his loving arms. We discover or rediscover his love and plan for us. Hopefully, like the sheep in the story, we will never stray from his purposes or promises again. But there it is, right? That, that some do stray because they are rebellious. And like you said, because there is the principle of agency. And that's why we're here, right? That our children are free to pick and choose. And especially as they become older. I mean, that's the part that I recognize so much at this stage of our life with, with eight adult children is we really do lose our control almost completely. I mean, we still have an influence for sure, but that day-to-day management of our children and steering them in the right directions, uh, that's different now with adult children, right? Agency is a whole nother topic, which we probably need to talk about (laughs) another time, but agency is such an important gift from our Heavenly Father. I mean, that's what the whole war in heaven was fought over, was the gift of agency. And Heavenly Father loves and honors agency so much. And I think we as parents need to really understand agency also. And it's hard. It's hard when we see our children rebelling. It's hard when we see them choosing paths that, you know, that are leading nowhere or that we, you know, don't want for them. And it's really hard to let go. But we need to realize that that's, we need to honor that agency, just like our Heavenly Father, you know, honors it with us. I remember one time, kind of a funny story, but in a high council meeting years ago, our stake president told us of the story of a previous fast Sunday where he came home from meetings and his son was just about to pour this huge bowl of cereal. And his the stake president, the father, said, now you're not going to eat that, are you? And the son said, why? And he said, well, it's fast Sunday. And the son said, well, dad, what should I, what, what do I do? And, and the dad said, son, it's totally up to you. You have your agency. You'll have to figure that out. And then the stake president told this cool story of how the son poured the, all the cereal back in the box and, and kind of walked away. And I just thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And so literally that day, he tells that story. I go home, and there is our son pouring himself a bowl of cereal on Fast Sunday, the next Fast Sunday. And I thought, we're going to reenact this whole scene. And uh, I said, hey, you're not going to eat that, are you? And our son said, well, well, yeah, why wouldn't I? Same story. I said, well, it's Fast Sunday. And he too kind of looked at me like, oh, great, now what do I do? And I said, I thought, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this agency thing. I said, you know what? It's your choice. You do whatever you want. And then I kind of walked away when I came, (laughs) when I walked back in the kitchen, he was just eating this huge bowl of cereal. But I remember thinking, you know what? When I was that age, I would have been doing the exact same thing, right? I mean, (laughs) um, but I know, I know, I know that this, uh, this principle is tough. And, uh, and, but once again, there are those, those kind of rebellious spirits, you know, and that's kind of this third category is the parents, for those of you that are suffering and you're struggling and you're hurting over the choices that your children have made, they have their agency and they've chosen that. And once again, it's it's not because of you necessarily. It's not because you didn't go to the temple enough that month or... Or sometimes didn't. it's not even because they haven't been taught. They yeah. just... Some kids have to learn it the hard way. You know, right. some kids have to go learn. They don't learn from being taught or hearing it over and over, they have to go experience it. One of my favorite lines from the um, story of the prodigal son is that the son came unto himself. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden he realized, whoa, I'm, I'm literally eating what pigs are eating. I'm living below my dad's servants. And so when he came to himself and realized, oh my gosh, I need to go back. Um, I think, I think that's just such a, um, 
a moment that we all need to look for. At some moment, they're going to hit rock bottom. At some moment, they're going to come into themselves and realize, you know, I have some awakening. Right. right. And I think that's why it is so important for us to never, ever give up on our kids. We have to love them. We have to respect their agency, but we still have to be there for them when they come back. And excuse me, because I don't know where I heard this. It might have been in general conference or from a friend. I'm not even sure. And I wish that I had written it down because Mm -hmm. it has been such a profound thing for me. But I remember her saying that she had a child that has strayed and wandered. And she said, I see so many parents that go down the road with them. You know, they leave the church to honor their child or to support their child or whatever. And she said, I can't do that. I'm going to stand right next to the tree so that when they realize and come unto themselves when they come back they're going to know where i am and i'm going to be standing there right by the tree to embrace them and bring them back she said but if i leave the tree they won't know where to come you know and Mm -hmm. i'm going to point them to the savior i'm going to stand there and point them right back to the savior when they come unto themselves and i think Mm -hmm. i thought that was such a profound um, teaching moment for me that i've never forgotten it well it's so powerful because as we've talked janie we've seen so many parents that when their children step away, they follow the children versus following maybe staying you know, steadfast. Into yeah. The- holding onto the iron rod, so to speak. And right. I, you know, another experience that I had was meeting with a couple in our stake a few years ago where one of their adult children said to them, mom and dad, you have a choice. You can either leave the church or you can come hang out and be with us, but you can't do both. You pick. And that, was a, that wasn't too hard of a decision because the parent, I mean, it was a hard decision in the sense that the parents knew what the consequences were going to be, but they had to look at their adult daughter and say, we love God more than anything else. We're staying next to him. And I love, Janie, how you explain that because now when that daughter hopefully comes back at some point, their parents will have one arm on the rod or the tree and the other arm reached out to their daughter. And I think that that's how we need to do it. And I love what you said about it's not too late. This is from Elder Bradley Foster, uh, the October 2015 conference. In the past, he said the world competed for our children's energy and time. Today, it fights for their identity and mind. How profound is that? And he said it in 2015, Mm. and really that movement really hit on identity just a few years after that. Many loud and prominent voices are trying to define who our children are and what they should believe. How about this? We cannot let society give our family a makeover in the image of the world. We must win this battle. He said everything depends on it. For some parents who feel that maybe it's too late to try to reclaim your children, it's never too late. He said we never give up, Janie, just like you said. It's never too early and it's never too late to begin this important process. And I know I can't turn back time, but this I do know, he said, that it's never too early and it's never too late to lead, guide, and walk beside our children. Why? Because families are forever, he said. Yeah, I've seen the two extremes. I've seen parents leave everything they know, their whole value system, to join in you know, with their kids and go down the road in a sign of support and encouragement or whatever. Right. But I've also seen parents go the exact opposite way where they ostracize their children and basically kick them out and, you know, don't have anything to do with them for the choices they make. And both of those are extremely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think we, like he says, we can never give up no matter what our children do, no matter what choices they make, we need to love them unconditionally. 
We need to be there with open arms. Again, when they come to themselves one day, when they realize, oops, you know, and where to turn for, they need to know that their parents are there with open arms, with love and kindness and gentleness. That's how the Savior would do it. The Savior would never just ostracize and kick people away because we know like he did with the woman caught in adultery. He literally loved her and just said, go and sin no more. He didn't condone the sin. He didn't cheer her on. He didn't think that was great. He told her to go repent, not to do it anymore, but he loved her. And that's the example as we as parents need to take. Yeah, I love that. So good. You know, it reminds me of a father that I interviewed years ago for a a qualitative research study. We were talking about this very principle of what if one of your children walked away and left your family or the church? And he said something so instinctively that I was caught off guard by it, Uh, but it was so profound. But he said, I would always love my children and then he said this and do whatever i could do to preserve the relationship with them no matter what is going on in their lives and i think that's another key is that we've got to preserve relationship you know on this idea of giving up though i love this concept that the last chapter hasn't been written you know that there's still a lot more of life to go who knows what will happen five or ten years from now and i love that because these are the savior's children right these are heavenly father's children he they heavenly father loves them more than we do which is you know and sometimes hard to comprehend longer, <laughs> yeah long because, before we came into the picture right, right because we think you know that we love them more but these are heavenly father's children and he he and the savior are going to save them and rescue them sometimes we can't do that you know we we can't see the end from the beginning we can't see what's really going on we don't know what's going on in their heart and their head all we can do is love them you know, be here for them. And at some point we have to turn it over to our Heavenly Father and our Savior who is literally their Savior. We can't save them, only He can. Yeah. It reminds me of a really good friend that we have who uh, has an adult child who had strayed from the flock and had been gone for quite a long time. But this good mother and father just kept praying, kept being a good influence, kept the relationship intact. And over time, now that daughter has come back, she's married in the temple, raising her family uh, in the gospel. And uh, we know that the, those, those miracles out there can happen. And they do. And not all happen on this side of the veil. A lot of them are going to take place on the other. But I love what you said, Janie, that it's Christ that heals. It's, it, he is the one who's going to make everything right in the end. We do know and believe that Christ is the great healer. He heals relationships. He can heal families. I love that years ago, President Howard W. Hunter said that whatever Jesus lays his hands on will live. If he lays his hands upon a marriage, it lives. And if he's allowed to lay his hands on the family, it lives. Whatever Christ touches will live and be healed. So we need to bring our families and bring ourselves to the Savior. And like you said, Janie, turn it over to him. Joseph B. Worthland said, The Lord compensates the faithful for every loss. That which is taken away from those who love the Lord will be added unto them in his own way. While it may not come at the time we desire, the faithful will know that every tear today will eventually be returned a hundredfold with tears of rejoicing and gratitude. And I love these promises because it breaks my heart. There are so many wonderful, righteous, faithful parents in the gospel and in the church and in the world who have done everything they can to love their children, teach their children. They're faithful in the gospel. They minister, they go to the temple and, you know, and some of us still lose our children. And it's, 
just the day and age we live in. We can't control what happens. Satan's too powerful. He's too good. I mean, I remember, Mark, back in the day when we started raising our kids, there was a quote that was going around that if you faithfully have family home evening. It was in the front of every family home evening manual. Right. It was a promise that if you faithfully hold family home evening every Monday night, which we held on to that promise for so long that your children, you'll never lose a child, that you'll never have a child go astray. And obviously that went out, you know, they took that out several years later because we live in a different world. We really live in a toxic world, like Elder Packer says, and we can't, we have so many different forces and just toxicity that we can't control anymore. You know, there's just so much rampant evil. We really do live in the last days. And so parents um take heart you know there's all we can do is is you know honor our temple covenants our temple ceilings keep teaching keep trying keep loving keep being an example to our children and then the savior like we just read is going to make up all the difference right so there's no formula we're not going to sit here and say if if you're in this situation where children have strayed from your family or from the gospel that if you just do x y and z then we're not going to say that today. We're going to say, yes, we continue to follow the Savior's example in loving. We do continue to try to influence. And I love that great statement in, in Joshua that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, meaning we can't control what goes on in their lives and in their homes. But in our home, we are going to pray. We are going to read the scriptures. We are going to do this. And we continue to have a relationship. And now we try to find things that are in common. You know, This is one of the things we do in our marriage work you know in our therapy practices every now and then we'll have a couple come in where one of them has kind of stepped away from the church and it, it, it is it's catastrophic when that happens for often the other spouse who remains faithful but what we do is say hey let's work on the common ground that we do have okay what all right the gospel yes you've built everything on that we get it, it but now that's over to the side what else do you have and often these couples will find that oh wow we'll we still have a great friendship. We still have a lot of things in common. We have things that we love to do with our children and grandchildren. There are a lot of things that people can still do to build relationships with their family members if they're in or out of the church. Or if they've met, yeah, whatever choices they've made that have distanced them from our, our family or from how we think things should be. But there's always some way that we can still love, embrace, and, and keep and maintain that relationship. The way that we'd like to conclude today is with hope. We want to give you some wonderful, awesome promises that will help you stand upright, will help you smile, will help you feel that the Lord is with you. And the first one I want to share, oh, and by the way, we've we've compiled a list of these. And if you- It's probably like six or seven pages, like it's really long. Yeah, yeah. Of wonderful quotes from church leaders over the past. Yeah. That are very inspiring and that are filled with hope and peace for parents and that will just help and bless you as you really struggle with fortify. Yeah. We struggle with our children who maybe are going off the path or really struggling. So if you will just email us at preserving families, podcast.com, we'd be more than happy to, to forward you the list of these beautiful quotes that you can just keep on reference because <laughs> I know they've blessed our lives and review and, often, right? Yeah, review often, yeah, so. they're great. And we're going to read a few of them, but there's a ton more that right. would be super helpful. Didn't want to bore you too much by us just reading statements for the next hour, but here's one of my favorites from president Howard W. Hunter. Cause I know a lot of parents 
take it so personal when their children walk away from the church like it's their fault or walk away from the family. Here's what he said. A successful parent is one who has loved, one who has sacrificed, and one who has cared for, taught, and ministered to the needs of a child. If you have done all of these and your child is still wayward or troublesome or worldly, it could be well that you are nevertheless a successful parent. Perhaps there are children who have come into this world that would challenge any set of parents under any set of circumstances. And likewise, perhaps there are others who would bless the lives of and be a joy to almost any father and mother. I, I just totally believe that. And I think once again, you know, I, one of the things I refuse to do, and I know this is just my little pet peeve, but if any of my children ever came to me and said, hey, I'm jacked up in my life and it's your fault, I would say, you know what, I, I've got so many problems of my own. I don't know if I can take yours on, on as well, but here's what I can tell you. I did the very best that I could. You know, I just, I just tried the hardest and I did the very best that I could. And, and if that wasn't enough, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I just know that I tried my best. And I just love what President Hunter says here, that parents who have loved and sacrificed and cared for and taught and ministered to their children, you've done what you could do. You did all that you could do and you were tired and you were exhausted and you kept going and you kept trying and you didn't give up. Heavenly Father loves you, and he's going to honor that. And, Janie, like you read from Elder Worthland, he will compensate for every loss. That's what the atonement's about. The atonement, will, the atonement of Jesus Christ will make up all the difference in our errors and anything that we as parents did. Right. Um, one of the quotes that I picked from that list that I thought was so profound was Orson, Orson F. Whitney. And he says, you parents of the willful and the wayward, don't give up on them. Don't cast them off. They are not utterly lost. The shepherd will find his sheep. They were his way before they were yours, long before he entrusted them to your care. And you cannot begin to love them as he loves them. They have but strayed in ignorance from the path of right, but God is merciful to ignorance. Only the fullness of knowledge brings the fullness of accountability. Our Heavenly Father is far more merciful, infinitely more charitable than even the best of his servants. And the everlasting gospel is mightier in power to save than our narrow, finite minds can comprehend. Don't give up, parents. <laughs> I just read that, and I have this feeling that all will be well. Yeah. I just can't help not feeling that. Another one from Orson F. Whitney that I'll read, that he said this, that the prophet Joseph Smith declared, and he never taught a more comforting doctrine, that the eternal ceilings of faithful parents and the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth would not save only themselves, but likewise their posterity. And though some of the sheep may wonder, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back into the fold. Either in this life or in the life to come, they will return. They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may even tread a thorny path. But if it leads them at last, like the penitent prodigal, to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experience will not have been in vain. Pray for your careless and disobedient children. Hold on to them with your faith. Hope on, trust on, until you see the salvation of God. And by the way, these quotes are both from the April General Conference of 1929. I'm sure you could find access to that somewhere. But these, you know, just even reading these promises, you feel the power and the strength of the atonement. Yeah. Elder Packer in May of 1992, he said, We cannot overemphasize the value of temple marriage. 
the binding ties of the sealing ordinance and the standards of worthiness required of them. When parents keep the covenants that they have made at the altar of the temple, their children will be forever bound to them. What an incredible promise. Mm. For all of us that are teaching why the temple is important, so many people <laughs> don't understand the yeah. temple and the covenants that we make there and that is the sealing power is real and that we as parents you know need to take that seriously that we need to honor our covenants because our children are bound to us i think there are great promises janie for those who attend the temple faithfully those parents they will they will be compensated there's no question in my mind Elder Packer goes on to say it is not uncommon for responsible parents to lose one of their children for a time to influences over which they have no control. It is my conviction, he said, that those wicked influences one day will be overruled. Elder Packer also says, now parents, I desire to inspire you with hope. You who have heartache, you must never give up. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how far away or how far down your son or daughter has fallen, you must never give up. Never, never, never. God bless you, broken-hearted parents. There is no pain so piercing as that caused by the loss of a child, nor joy so exquisite as the joy at his redemption. I love that promise because we do have hope that one day they will all come back. They're going to come to themselves, whether in this life or the next. And because of our temple covenants, because of the sealing power, the priesthood power, the atoning power of the Savior, they will come back. Yeah. And that's going to be a wonderful, just, glorious day. I'm visualizing that scene of in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son running to his father and, and the embrace and just visualizing hundreds of thousands of scenes like that on the other side of the veil and how powerful that will be. Here's President James E. Faust. Children of eternal ceilings may have visited upon them the divine promises made to their valiant forebears who nobly kept their covenants. Covenants remembered by parents will be remembered by God. This is why, once again, the repetitive nature of going to the temple is so important. I'm just interjecting that. Back to President Faust. The children may thus become beneficiaries and inheritors of these great covenants and promises. This is because they are children of the covenant. Now, that was a talk that he gave in the October conference of 1990, then in May of 2003. Dear are the sheep that have wandered. Another wonderful talk by President Faust. Perhaps in this life we are not given to fully understand how enduring the sealing cords of righteous parents are to their children. It may very well be that there are more helpful sources at work than we know. I believe there is a strong familial pull as the influence of beloved ancestors continues with us from the other side of the veil. In other words, parents, you are not alone in this work. That as you are loving and ministering to your children, so are those ancestors, those grandparents and great-grandparents and aunts and uncles on the other side are pulling just as hard and the battle will be won right they're gonna they're gonna those kids are coming back as we conclude today i mean we could sit here and read these quotes for for hours for but hour, yeah. we have pages and pages so please email and get the list of these incredible promises but today um each of us has promises available available to us today because of the Savior and his atonement. Through the atonement, we have the restor restoration power. We have the healing power, strengthening power, all those blessings because of our Savior's atoning sacrifice in our behalf. We have temple covenants and temple promises that if we live up to those, that there's incredible blessings 
through the ordinances of the temple that will bind our children to us forever, even those that wander. We need to trust in these beautiful promises from his apostles and prophets. We need to keep influencing, loving our children, staying faithful to them, staying faithful to the Lord. One hand on the rod, one Mm -hmm. hand on our children, right, if we need to. The Lord will honor the promises that he has made to us and to our children. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. We can't run off. We can't leave the tree to go chase our kids down. We can't (laughs) (laughs) go down the road with them because where will they turn? How will they find their way back to the Savior? If we're not there. If we're not there helping them and guiding them back to the Savior's path. And that is through love, prayer, sacrifice, all those things that we as parents do. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. We know, once again, this is a sensitive topic. We... We labored and struggled with it because we wanted to do it in the right way and, and wanted to be careful. And we hope we've we've presented these things in a way that you feel hopeful. So when it comes to let's do something, we would say the invitation today is, yes, once again, feel free to email us, preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com. And we are happy to send you this list that we've compiled of these promises. By the way, I'll put a plug in, but Robert Millett, his book that he wrote years ago, When a Child Wonders, I think you could still find it out there somewhere, but When a Child Wonders is an awesome, awesome book that talks about these these promises in detail and also uh, so many so many of these scenarios that many of you have experienced before. Preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com. The invitation is to study those promises and feel the hope and the love and the power of the Savior, our Heavenly Father, the atonement that's there for us and feel peace and feel happy and walk through this life with joy, knowing that everything will be made right. Well, we're grateful to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, have a wonderful week.